The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're going to be talking about inside a schizophrenic marriage. We're going to be going inside with my guest, Pauline Hansen. She is the author of a book that's coming out this month called Patchwork Reality, Happily Married to a Schizophrenic. Now, you may think that your marriage is crazy. When I said inside a schizophrenic marriage, you might be thinking, oh, yeah, that's, that's mine, is, <laughs> mine is schizophrenic, but we're talking about real schizophrenic. So um, Pauline wrote a very um, poignant and honest uh, look inside her life and her family's life and um, what it was like uh, going for years and not really understanding why it seemed to be that her husband, Curtis, was taking them all down the rabbit hole. So welcome to the show, Pauline. Thank you, Dr. Carroll. Um, you know, it's not, I mean, this may be, I don't know, have you, before you wrote this book, or at some point uh, before today, have you looked to see whether there is a similar, whether any other wife of a schizophrenic has written such a book? And anything that I've seen out there is just usually a, a son or a daughter that they've written about. I, I haven't found anything yet that's um, a spouse writing about, you know, their mar- marriage partner. Yes. You know, one, one reason is that... Um, Except for, uh, except for the kind of schizophrenia that your husband was diagnosed with, um, most schizophrenics with with other there are different types. Let me back up. There are different types of schizophrenia, different um, uh, different sub diagnoses of of the general diagnosis of schizophrenia. And so, because schizophrenia generally comes on oh between the ages of eighteen and twenty two in most cases, but not all cases, of course. And then in later life cases, um, in the 40s, uh, there can be, or beyond, there can be cases suddenly diagnosed of paranoid schizophrenia, which is what um, your husband was diagnosed. And we'll get That's to that. Correct. But um, uh, so, so many schizophrenics, most schizophrenics, don't wind up getting married at all because part of the illness is that they can't form those kinds of uh, deep attachments with people um, that that enable them to get married. So that's one of the reasons why you wouldn't find, um, uh, I haven't seen this, to this point any other books written by spouses of, of schizophrenics, which I guess begs the question, <laughs> before we get into your story in the book, what made you decide to write this book? 
Well, just the fact that I went nine years uh, not not realizing my husband had this uh, mental illness, and to to think that me and everyone around me was not able to recognize that, and so I thought, well. It would be wonderful if someone picked up my book and recognized symptoms in someone they knew or someone they loved. And if, you know, at the very least, it could just be a symbol of hope. Just when, when things happen in our families and something tragic occurs, we, we seek for other, th- other people that have gone through the same thing. And mm-hmm. I've done the same thing. I've ordered books on schizophrenic um, happenings that, so that I could kind of see what their story was like and see how they handled it and what their in, happy ending might have might have been and so we you know we seek for that comfort from each other and so I thought well at the very least it could it could be that for someone hopefully yes absolutely um, okay so let's start from the beginning um, where where were you born I was born in a southern Utah town called Panguitch, and I was raised in Cannonville, which is a tiny, tiny town of 150 people. Wow. <laughs> okay, in Utah. Yes, in Utah. And, um, and how did you meet your husband? I, I attended college in St. George, which is one of the largest cities in southern Utah, and he grew up in St. George, so we met at a college dance. <laughs> Uh-huh. And um, was it love at first sight, or how was your early courtship? It actually was something where I think we both knew it was, it was the right connection because we, you know, I had dated and dated and dated, but as soon as I dated him, I suddenly had no desire to date anyone else. And it, it just clicked in place. There was, it was easy as can be. To to just move on from there, and it only took us seven months, and we were married. Huh, wow. And so, um, did you feel, was there anything, were there any red flags before you got married? Was there anything in his family background or in anything about him, any little quirk that, um, looking back now, you can think, huh, maybe that was uh, like a little sign of things to come? I guess maybe um, his his mother grew up in a, a very traumatic childhood and household and just kind of with um, a father that was um, an alcoholic. And so you know, his own childhood, he had a very, very strict father. And so he kind of never was a child. He had to grow up very fast. And he had a lot of anxieties, too, just... But it just seemed like the normal anxieties that you just don't dare get up in front of people and, you know, you're just scared of, of public performances or, or that kind of thing. There wasn't really anything that I could specifically connect to maybe a mental illness. But now, like you say, now that I look back, there might have been some signs that, you know, that there was a little bit of unrest or a trauma in the family. Uh-huh. And just to clarify, you were saying that his mother who had a traumatic childhood because her father was alcoholic. That's right. Not his father. Okay. His father was strict, but okay. Yeah. Um, all right. And so when, so when he brought you home to meet his parents, was there any kind of, you know, how did that go? Well, his parents divorced when he was 17, so he did have a stepfather in the home. Um, I... I was just young and naive and 
they seemed to, you know, take to me okay. We didn't spend, you know, a lot of time with them, but we would go over for Sunday dinners, and and it 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 worked well. It, it was fine. <laughs> uh huh. Okay. So then you got married, and um, and you had um, you wound up altogether having five children, right? Yes. Okay, and so give us an idea of, of these good, the first, now how old are you? I'm 46. And how old is he? He is 40, I think he just turned 50 actually, yeah. Okay, <laughs> alright. So, um, so tell us about these first years that were, <laughs> that, that were the good years. Okay, well, the first 14 years of our marriage, it just, like, felt like a normal, you know, babies every two years, um, go to work, take care of the family, pay the bills, um, you know, try to try our best to fit in a family vacation here and there as well as we could with our finances. And um, just, you know, in St. George, it was kind of a little bit of a inflated economy, so it was... It was difficult to always make ends meet, but we managed just fine, and we were happy. We, we, we loved that our family was growing, and, and everything just really didn't seem out of the ordinary, not even when I look back on it. It just, it just felt like a natural, normal marriage. Uh-huh. With the ups and downs, you know, you, you have your arguments over disciplining the kids and finances and whatnot, but... You know, nothing, nothing out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. And what kind of work were you doing? I occasionally picked up a side job myself, but most of the time I, I got to be at home with the kids. I either took in children to, to babysit or I would do a little bit of out-of-the-home out of work, but never full-time. And what kind of and work? My hus- yeah. What's that? But yes, I was going to say, what kind of work was he doing? About the, um, after two or three years of our marriage, he got a job at, with the school district as a custodian. His brother worked the same job, and so it, it was, he was able to get in the same type of, of occupation, and he actually stayed with that for 21 years. So that's what he was doing clear up until the time we moved. Uh-huh. And... um. So had you, when you were going to college, what were you planning on doing when you were finished? I actually was just going to college to basically meet people. Not, I didn't really have a career in mind. <laughs> <laughs> I actually was looking for, yeah, for marriage more, more and starting a family than I was anything as far as a career. But I did take a lot of English classes because I love I love that. Uh-huh. Okay. So everything was kind of going hunky-dory until after the 14th year, did you say? Yeah, and I kind of base things about the year 2001, but when my husband looks back on it, he can kind of, now that he realizes something changed, he pinpoints it about the mid-90s where he says he started feeling just more tense and more agitated, and he was that way at home. He started, oh, just being a little more angry with me over little things, and it, it became frustrating. There were 
there were times where I would just, like, why do you have to treat me like this? But, you know, now that I can see what was happening, I understand more. Uh-huh. And um, so, so, you're, so he was feeling increasingly tense in the mid-90s, but um, 2001 is when you date things beginning to change more noticeably, and you That's relate right. that to a dream that he had. That's right. That's right. It's about the fall of 2001, and it was just an extraordinary dream that he had that he felt was a hundred times more powerful than any experience he'd ever he'd ever had. And so it was. It felt significant, especially to him, and it felt like it was something that that really had great meaning. Uh huh. And what was that dream? Well, he. Um, he wouldn't tell me, um, really, the whole gist of it, just because he felt it was so sacred. But he just said that the feeling he got was the extreme love that God has for all of his children and that the main kind of the, the theme of the dream was that anything is possible. And so that was his new motto, anything is possible. And if you have that for your motto, believe me, pretty strange things can start happening. Uh-huh. Because nothing is set, you know, out of the ordinary suddenly when he had other dreams come up within a few months about large sums of money coming our way and such. Then it wasn't, it wasn't impossible to him. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, you know, this is probably a good place to stop for right now for our first break, um, and because it kind of is a cliffhanger. I love I love taking breaks on cliffhangers. <laughs> uh, so everyone will stay tuned and uh, hear how we go from here to further down the rabbit hole. Um, my guest is um, Pauline Hansen. She is the author of a new book called Patchwork Reality: Happily Married to a Schizophrenic. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866- 
472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're going inside a schizophrenic marriage with my guest, Pauline Hansen. She's the author of a new book called Patchwork Reality, Happily Married to a Schizophrenic. Now, some people probably will look at that and say, how is that possible? But, um, but, but we will hear. It wasn't always happy, though, and you went through a lot. So uh, we, and we're just starting to look at that. So your husband had a dream where the general, although he didn't tell you all the details, um, this was in 2001, it, it, the gist of it was anything is possible, including uh, he did tell you, right, that, that um, he thought that things, good things were coming your way, blessings, including a big load of money. That's right. That's right. So how did that affect everybody? You know, it was just me that he would talk to. He did tell the kids a little bit, you know, if you get A's on your report cards this year, we'll give you $100. And I was livid because, you know, I said, you you can't count on that. You don't know that this money is coming for sure. And so I was upset that he would get the kids involved. And, of course, they were disappointed because nothing ever came to fruition. But he felt like that he he had a dream, and he really trusted in his dreams. He felt like they were revelations, you know, inspiration, and you know that's not uncommon uncommon in our culture. So when he told me about it, you know, in in a in some regards, I trusted in what he was telling me. Mm-hmm. But when it came to the money, I just thought, well, you know, maybe he's putting too much into this and and thinking too too much into it, but he, he felt like there was a large yellow envelope that had $300,000 in it, and this money was meant for us because we would head up this big, you know, um, pre- emergency preparation sort of a um, group that we could help other people, you know, be prepared for what might come in the future. So he, he was going to put this money to good use, and so that's why he felt like it was hmm. coming our way, and he had, you know, perfect... Perfectly good intentions for it. Hmm, that's interesting. And so that year, uh, or 2002, um, not long after, um, that you did in fact have a secret Santa leave a gift on your front porch. So what was that? Well, you know, it's just the, the, the fun little box of goodies that someone will leave you that um, knows maybe you could use something that year. And it was it was a really kind gesture. They had it had a stocking for each of the the kids, full and you know and everything that you would need to make a Christmas dinner, and and so you know when Curtis had predicted, he he felt like he started needing to predict when this money would come because that sh- he felt like that showed faith in what he thought was happening, and if he voiced that he 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 knew it was going to happen, he felt it it would be even more likely to happen. So he would constantly predict a date. Well, mm-hmm. I feel like by Christmas something will happen. And sure enough, something did, mm-hmm. just enough to keep his hopes mm-hmm. up. Which, you know, of course it was not tied into this whole other grand delusion, but he felt like it was just enough that he, it gave him hopes to continue his line of thinking. Mm-hmm. So then um, you, were, you moved to a place that you was really horrible. It was called, you called it the box, and um, it was dark, oppressive. Um, you said even your seven-year-old 
said that it feels like there are kidnappers in the basement, and so on. Um, and you got another secret Santa gift that year, money and, go- money and goods totaling over $1,500. So um, now tell me, okay, and that's when this interesting little twist comes, where you, um, you were doing some house cleaning, and you had a client named Hank who you started spending time with. Tell us about that. Well, just the fact that Curtis was receiving more and more um, positive, you know, happenings where in in regards to what he was thinking was going to happen, you know, we get this grandiose secret Santa suddenly that it really was quite amazing, but that turned his his whole, you know, everything that he was starting to do was, according to this this whole thing he felt was coming our way, he still felt it was bigger and grander. So he started just writing in his journal constantly and writing names in notebooks, and it was taking all of his time. And then that was leaving no time for me and the children. And so more and more and more I felt just pushed aside, and we lived in such a horrible place. And it was just one of those things that escalates where... You just, life gets worse and worse, and it it just feels dark and oppressive and gloomy. And so, you know, you have a client that you clean for, and you just start hanging out with them because it's happier and it's, you know, more enjoyable, and you have someone to talk to, and that's really what it was, is just someone to spend time with and talk to. And so, but did it turn into a romantic relationship? Well, I wouldn't necessarily say but it was close enough that it got to the point where he wanted more than what I should give as a married woman and so I had you know I had to pull pull out of it and the reason I I kept that in the book is just I just feel like we we learn from each other's mistakes and that's why we read stories is just so that we can see that other people you know they make mistakes mm-hmm. just like mm-hmm. we do and and how did they end up you know maybe coming, you know, getting out of that situation or or finding a better way or or, you know, forgiving uh-huh. or right. or however they <laughs> So that's why I I put that part yes, in the book. But what, and, yeah. What's really fast, I mean it totally fits because what's really fascinating is that then you say that um your husband Curtis had a, had an experience where he felt like he had a huge crushing weight on his chest that was somehow related to Hank. I mean, there was the weight of, of you know, he had to realize that um, that there was uh, that there was the chance of things, you know, of you having an affair or um, that he was losing you in a sense. And so it's so fascinating because even schizophrenics. I mean, a lot of times people don't realize this, even psychiatrists, um, that that um, people who are psychotic, schizophrenics, or people with manic-depressive illness, another name for bipolar, um, that their delusions uh, and hallucinations and, you know, their psychotic manifestations actually have a symbolic meaning. I mean, they're not just totally random. So as you'll tell us in more detail, his delusion about, you know, that started with the dream, he now starts talking about, um, a test that he calls the game, and um, he, you write the test. This test we must pass has to do with single men and women tempting us away from our spouse. 
The goal of the game is to separate us, and if it succeeds in doing that, certain people will get a payout of their own. If we manage to remain together, we'll be the ones to get the big payout. Now, I mean, that is what was going through his mind. Granted, this was in a, a distorted way of expressing it, but really, you know, he was feeling that um, you were being tempted by Hank, and he might well have been feeling tempted by some woman. You can tell us about that. Um, mm-hmm. But um, so it's like, you know, it's a way of, of, um, of, of imagining or um, conceptualizing these temptations, these very real temptations, but then it comes expressed in a kind of psychotic delusion. But it's still very real and still very relevant to what is really going on in your lives. Well, and I think that's why he felt like everything was happening. He truly believed it. It's because there was enough evidence that in in the way he was thinking that it just kept him thinking along those lines. So you're exactly right. He coached um, uh, some girls on a track team, and all the moms were single. And he said, how could that possibly be? And they come, and they... They wear their tank tops and mm-hmm. and their tight little shorts, and half their chest is hanging out. And they're, you know, and basically they're they're there to try to seduce me, you know. Mm-hmm. And so everything just stacked stacked up on top of everything else, you know. And it, and so it it did. It just seemed like it manifested itself in our life the way he really felt like what was happening. So yes, and it was like his way of not succumbing um, to these women by by creating this delusional system where he had if he if he was strong and he didn't you know he wasn't able to be seduced by them that then you would all the whole family would would get you know a prize would get all this money or other blessings right and he just he really believed that the that the game was going on the game essentially like you say was just a, a test that was to prove our faithfulness to each other and he just felt like uh, you know, it, it's a symptom of a schizophrenic. They feel like you're a, p- a person of importance. So he felt like we were upwardly mobile in the community, and that's why we were being targeted. And so we were put through this test, and all these, uh, like you say, the single men and the single women were put into our path to to see if we would prove faithful to our spouse. And the money c- came in people would actually, you know, it was kind of like um, a game for the the wealthy. It was, and then, you know, and I couldn't fathom how this could possibly be working because it's almost like they were viewing, like, the Truman Show. <laughs> and, you know, how could they watch our every move and, uh-huh. and bet, bet on everything happening? And so it was beyond my comprehension, but it all made perfect sense to him. <laughs> uh-huh. And so... um so how were you, now during this time, before it comes to the point where you actually uh, do go to see a doctor, how were you thinking before then, like around now, you know, when he starts talking about the game and all that, were you thinking, I should take this man to a doctor? I, I got to the point a couple of times where I thought, this is just not, n- not normal um, uh, actions for someone to be doing and maybe I should call ask a nurse or maybe even call my dad and say well have you ever heard of anything like this this just seems really bizarre and I can't imagine why he's doing something like this but 
that just the fact that I was sworn to secrecy and I, you know, I had kept his secrets for so long, it just kept, kept me in that uh, faithfulness to him. And it wasn't until the last few months that everything got really difficult anyway. And so for the, for the longest time, it was just things that I could, I could explain away mm-hmm. and that I could say, oh, well, that, that's not possible. But if you want to think that way, fine. But uh-huh. I'm going to have to disagree, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, yeah, like I say, it wasn't until the last just few months that it and, got really crazy. And we'll be getting to the last few months when we come back. We need to take a break. Um, We're talking today about going inside a schizophrenic marriage with my guest, Pauline Hansen. She's the author of Patchwork Reality, Happily Married to a Schizophrenic. And when we come back, we'll hear more about how things um, really began to unravel and how the diagnosis was finally made. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships... Check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're looking inside a schizophrenic marriage. My guest is Pauline Hansen. She's the author of a book that's just coming out this month. It's called Patchwork Reality, Happily Married to a Schizophrenic. And... um, We are following her down the rabbit hole, and this is where the rabbit hole starts getting steeper, the the last four months before the diagnosis. So tell us about that. All right. Well, just before school ended in the year 2010, he worked at the high school, so that's kind of how our life is gauged, is school ending, school beginning. And he quit talking to everyone at the high school, and so the secretary even called me and said, well, why isn't he talking to anyone? And I said, well, oh, I guess I did hear that at the last custodial meeting they were talking about that, how they needed to be careful to talk about talking to the young girls because they take it wrong and then they blame you for sexual harassment. And so that was easily just explained away, too, and I didn't really think about it. Summer came along. He you know, was home more and wasn't really at the school as, you know, 
with all this with all the students, so I never heard anything like that, but he started spending time in a, a custodial closet at the school, and he explained to me that he was uh, an- asking questions and um, when he would ask a question, it would surge on the right for yes and on the left for no for all these questions he was asking, and I couldn't imagine. I said, well, you believe that there's someone answering these questions? He says, I know there is. There's a group of people that's trying to help me figure out some things. And I said, well, what kind of things? And for the longest time, he wouldn't really tell me, but he finally said, well, I need to know who's for us and who's against us in the game so that I know who to talk to and who not to talk to. And it started uh, gaining a point system of if you spoke to the wrong people, the wrong people got the points. And so it was like this side against, uh, you know, us against the opponents. And that's how it all started forming from then on is that it was, you know, the, the good side and the bad side, the side that the people that were for us as a couple and supported us and the people that were trying to separate us or get us to separate because, you know, they felt like that was their, what they had bet on in the game. Hmm. So it just depended on, you know, how the people uh, bet mm-hmm. with, you know, with money. So <laughs> he felt like it you know, that the game was growing and it, there was a lot of interest. And there were other couples involved, too, but he never told me names. He was very vague when, whenever we would talk about actual people. He would just, you know, give me characteristics or, or whatever if he was talking about someone. And so this just escalated through the fall of 2010 when he actually got fired from his job. <laughs> Uh-huh. And um, it's very surprising because he'd already always been very dedicated to his work. And he, um, he was very careful about taking care of his family and wanting to, you know, make sure they were provided for. So for, for him to actually get fired was beyond anything we had ever imagined would happen. But he... He felt like it was almost supposed to happen because the game was, he, he felt, was trying to wrap itself up. And so uh, the criteria in the game was becoming more and more strict. Mm-hmm. And he started doing, started requiring things of himself and trying to require them of me. That was way more than I could possibly, you know, ever do. He... He felt like the children, this was one of the hardest parts for me, he felt like they were actually standing in as proxy for the people on the opposing side. And so, like, for instance, my daughter, her name begins with an M, and he knows of a person that he feels like was trying to tempt him and and you draw him away from me, and her name started with an M. So suddenly our daughter was that person by proxy. Mm. And he was, you know, it was, the game was, the test was becoming more difficult because it was closer to the end. He felt like something so strict was required of him because it was almost, you know, ready to wrap itself up. Mm -hmm. So he actually stopped talking to all five of his children. Mm -hmm. And... uh, um, he wanted me to stop 
talking to them because he felt like that would actually increase our chances. And I said, this can't possibly be good or right. How could anyone require this of you? And there's no way that I'm going to stop talking to my children. I'd rather die. And so it started affecting our household items, too. Just everything in the house had a meaning to it, whether it was influenced by or given to us by someone on the opposing side. He felt like if we got rid of it, it would increase our chances in the game. And so our house was beginning to echo. It was so empty. Yes, and like you, you say, certain numbers were good, certain uh, times so that, like when you went shopping, you could only buy certain things with their, that cost certain amounts of money, times of the day. Sometimes some numbers were good, some were bad. The temperature of the house, colors then. And you, yes. you, you write about how, like if... Uh, if certain things in the house, beds, dressers, etc., are the wrong color, uh, according to what he thinks is the game, you know what 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 is supposed to be good and what's supposed to be bad, that you had to get rid of all these things, uh, beds right. and and tables and china and all that kind of stuff. Um, it, yeah. So it was okay. So it was increasingly crazy making, and you're—I mean, I can ha- tell by your voice, even just remembering this, you know, is is very anxiety provoking. <laughs> um, no, you, you know, <laughs> and so, uh, and but then during all this, you had a dream that um, you say helped you, convinced you somehow to give up more control to him and trust him, even though he was getting crazier. That's what was right. That? You know. Every everything that you mentioned, just he's fascinated with numbers, and so they suddenly started taking a huge, um, making a huge impact in our life. And then the colors, and even the colors of vehicles coming into our cul-de-sac would help him determine whether he needed to keep or get rid of something, you know. And all this was so bizarre to me, I couldn't fathom why he would think the way he was thinking. I had no way of basing anything he was doing on anything else I had learned previously in my life because I just hadn't had any experience with it. So um, I think that my dream that I had, it was actually something that was necessary for me to be able to make it through what I was going through because I... I didn't have anywhere else to turn. And so I just had this gut instinct, this dream that I had helped me feel like I just needed to let go and just put faith and trust in my husband. And up until that time, he was still being very vague with, I knew everything that he was doing had, it was involved with the game, but I didn't know to what extent because there was not a lot he shared with me because I had gotten so upset a few years previous and said, I don't want to hear anything about the game. I'm done with it, and, you know, I, I don't want you to talk about it at all. And so he literally, for four and a half years, did not speak about it, but it was going on very, very much so in his mind still, which I did not realize until all this started happening. And it, it you know, and it, it became to the point where I, I just had to let go and just say, okay, I trust what you're doing, and we'll just see this through to the end. And it wasn't really that I believed that the way he did and felt like what he was believing was true. It was just more like I knew I had to just let go and trust him, and then that way he opened up more. And he started telling me more and more and more details. And so by the time something actually did happen that was the catalyst for us 
getting his diagnosis, I was able to recognize that something was wrong rather than still not knowing enough details. And what was that, the final catalyst? The catalyst became, it's, it's kind of ironic, it was a, a letter that he actually wrote to my dad. It was something that I was completely unaware of. He wrote my dad a letter that said, well, I feel like when you went to the dentist a few years ago, I, I think they put tracking devices in your molar teeth. He was he saying just that to, they put tracking devices in your father's it, teeth? That's right. My dad had uh-huh. a lot of dental work done at one particular time, and so my husband just felt like he needed to make my dad aware of that so uh-huh. that he could get that taken care of. You know, they've, you know, they've done this, and you need, you know, you need to know that mm-hmm. that has happened. And so my dad knew that's not something normal, you know, <laughs> that, people, uh-huh. <laughs> that people think or... Or whatever, and so it was a big red flag, and so my parents actually called me and said, "Well, we'd like to visit with you. Can we talk talk somewhere alone?" And we met at a park, and they gradually asked me, "Well, is everything okay?" And <laughs> you know, it it just um, at first I was still in secret mode. I was just still, you know, feeling like I needed to be uh, faithful to my husband and keep keep his confidence, but as, as the conversation progressed, you know, my mom finally, the thing that I, I think broke me down at the very end was she whispered, your couch and table are missing. Do you, do you know why that is? Do you want to tell us why that is? Mm. And then, you know, that just made me spill out the mm. whole story. And so, you know, there... Their thoughts were at first just like maybe chemical damage or some sort of a chemical, you know, brain damage or something similar. Yes, because because he uses toxic he used toxic chemicals at work. That's right. Yeah. So they just knew that something was probably not quite right. And once I told my story, they're like, "Okay, we we really need to see see what's going on and see if we can get him to a doctor." You know, and then once I put it all together, I'm like, wow, okay, there's really an explanation for all this. Mm. That seems like, you know, a miracle that I can actually have, you know, something that tells me why this is all, has all been happening. Uh Uh-huh. So what happened, what kind of, what kind of doctor did you take him to first? Yeah, it was a little bit hard to get him to go to the doctor at first because he's like, you know, I'm not crazy. <laughs> you know, yeah. why do I need to go to see a doctor? And, you know, the only way we could get him to go is that we, he, he, he mentioned all the sports injuries that he still has from when he was young. And he says, if I can get those look at, looked at, I'll go to the doctor. Huh. So huh. I had to make him think that, that he could get that all that, that looked at. Yeah, so that was why you were going. Well, we need to take another break, um, and we will continue with with how all of this uh, ultimately got diagnosed. Um, When we come back, my guest is Pauline Hansen. She is the author of Patchwork Reality, Happily Married to a Schizophrenic, and we're we're getting close to the climax here. (laughs) We're talking about the inside of schizophrenic marriage. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're looking today inside a schizophrenic marriage with the wife of that marriage, Pauline Hansen, who has just written a book, uh, opening up her whole story and that of her families um, to help other people who can recognize some of these things and get help sooner than she did um, for a spouse or a family member um, who is showing some of these signs. Uh, The book is called Patchwork Reality, Happily Married to a Schizophrenic. So before the break, you were starting to tell us about how you finally got your husband to go see it, to agree to see a doctor, which is not easy when someone is suffering from mental problems because, you know, that's the last thing they think that is happening. I'm not sick. Everybody else is crazy. <laughs> um, so, but you got him to go by saying that the doctor was going to look at his sport previous um, sports injuries. So then what happened? It was a family doctor, right? That's right, and just so that the doctor would be aware, and I wouldn't have to, you know, say a lot in front of my husband mm. when we were at the doctor's. I typed up everything that I felt had changed, was different, or was not as normal as it used to be. Things that had come up that suddenly I'm like, okay, this might might be, you know, something that is a symptom or whatever. I I had no idea. I just typed up things that you know, I, I had noticed that had changed in my husband. Mm-hmm. And so, that my, the, so that the doctor would have something to look at and something to refer to. And so I, saw, I actually saw him read the papers just before we went in, and we let my husband go through his little injuries first, but then I brought up the, the real reason. I said, well, okay, that is, can we talk about the real reason we're here? And then the doctor took it from there, and, and we, he was able to pronounce pronounce the diagnosis. We mean, wait, wait, wait. You mean right then, judging based upon um, what you had written to him, the doctor just made the diagnosis? He said, you are paranoid schizophrenic? Well, you know, he talked to my husband for about 20 minutes. So, you know, he asked my husband questions and he says, you, you know, you, I mentioned the dreams. So he said, well, what, what have you dreamed? And then he said, well, what do you feel like it means? And then 
well, why do you feel that way? And so, you know, the doctor did ask questions for quite uh-huh. a while. And then he, with with the information that I had given him, I think, uh-huh. you know, with, with the two, he was able to put put it all together. Uh-huh. Okay. And so then what, what happened? Then, so did he recommend medication or what happened? He did. He wanted us to uh, go to a psychiatrist and then that's the only way that they can actually uh, refer you to someone that can, can, can write out a prescription for the medication that was, would be needed. So we, try, we tried that, um, and I had every intention of trying to get him on medication, but he was very stubborn and very adamant against it because he doesn't want something else controlling him. He wants to stay in control, and he feels like some, taking something like that is, is not normal, and it's synthetic, and it's, you know, and he he wasn't comfortable with that at all, and he absolutely refused. So I there wasn't anything I could really do except just move. You know, we we had to move because we he had no job, and we you know we have lost our our way of making ends meet. So we moved in with my parents and. Yeah. That's how, you know, and, and it actually turned out to be um, perfect for him. We wondered what it would be like without him on medication, and I, I was very concerned. I wondered if he would be able to hold down a job again. Well, I, well wait, so what kind of treatment did he have? Has he had? He, um, like I say, we've, we, we, we have been to the psych, to that psychiatrist and we went to her three times and she, you know, did what she could as far as trying to convince him that he needed some help and some medication, but he, he wouldn't budge at all. Uh, okay. And what and about so therapy? Therapy? Yes. You know, talking to somebody, to a psychiatrist or a psychologist. Yeah, and, Has right, he had therapy? And, Psychotherapy. Just, just the, just the three times that we went, um, we didn't, we didn't go any after that. We just came home and just w- wanted to see how things would play out. And you know, and I, I tried a few times again. You know, I really feel like that you would, you would be better off. You know, with some medication and just think how, how much normal your life would be and how, you know, how much more you could accomplish or whatever, and he still was just adamant against it. So we kind of just had to let it go and see what would happen. And for, for a while, he, he kept on to the, to the idea that the game was still in play, and I was furious because... You know, now I knew it was all a delusion, and and I didn't have any, you know, any trust in it at all. And so I said, well, of course we're not going to talk about that anymore, and I really don't want you to to think that's happening because it's so, not. Okay, so let me just let me just make sure I understand. So, you, are you still living with your parents? No, it was only for a, a couple of months until we could find our a home of our own, and so we live close to them. But it it is our own home. So okay, so he's not working. He ha- he he actually started working within a couple of months 
after we moved here, he actually started, you know, letting go of the idea of the game. And I, he still wasn't talking to my youngest daughter, but I, I insisted. I just said, well, okay, I, I won't talk to you if you don't talk to her. Okay. And so I, I had to be strict with him on a few things. Well, and uh, Okay, so no, I'm just trying to, because we're kind of running out of time, I'm just trying to understand what, what is it that, do you think, I mean, because, because paranoid schizophrenia, assuming that that was the correct diagnosis, and it does seem like it was, I know that you had a, um, what was it, an MRI or a CAT scan, or, I mean, and I'm presuming blood tests also to rule out the possibility of toxins um, having caused a psychosis. Um, That's right. But, but people don't, it doesn't sort of go away. I mean, there are times when, um, I mean, with the, tr- let me, <laughs> the treatment for paranoid schizophrenia, is a combination of medication and psychotherapy. By psychotherapy, I mean weekly meeting with a psychiatrist or a psychologist, preferably a psychiatrist because then the psychiatrist can manage the medication and do the psychotherapy. But in any case, um, at least for the psychotherapy, meeting with a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a social worker, some kind of therapist um, to talk about, just to talk and um you know, to talk about the game, to talk about whatever things are bothering him, or or whoever the person is who has this illness. So, I don't. I'm not, I don't mean to. I'm not trying to. I don't want to make you feel anxious exactly, but I do want you to be aware that as much as everybody would like this to go away, it's not going to go away. And, and oh no, gonna... and and it didn't. It's not. It hasn't yet. You know, but I. I truly believe in in recovery, and I I believe in a support system. So just the fact that I stayed with my husband and I I show him constant love that's unconditional, he has a safe place to go. He knows that no matter what, we are there for him, and so are his children. And, and, you know, and I understand that, you know, there's... I'm it, just saying it, that it, you have to kind of still be vigilant, still be aware of of other of things uh, coming back again, not necessarily in the same form, not necessarily the game, but um just to be aware if things start sort of um, uh, going a little backwards or going or new symptoms or um, you know that you should bring him to a to a psychiatrist as soon as as soon as you see something that you see that you see is worrisome, not just for your husband's sake and for your sake, but yeah, um, I, yeah, but for your children's see. sake as yeah. well. This obviously must have been really hard on them all these years growing up <laughs> under these conditions. Yeah, so, it was, and you know, and I can see my husband will go through something, and I I just always hope that he can have. That's low enough that he'll never that he'll never go into one of those psychotic episodes. They say that something traumatic can often trigger that, and yes. they say that you know paranoid schizophrenia only gets worse in time, and it's not curable. And so those things are always gonna are always gonna weigh on me. You know, I yes. I realize that it's not something that can be cured, but. You know, as far as but it certainly can be managed. Now we need to. Yeah. Unfortunately, we've come to the end of the show, and I, I, I don't want to end it on a downer, but I just want to give <laughs> you a, um, you know, to be careful. I just want to give you the sense that it's manageable. It's just like diabetes; it can be managed with medication and therapy. So, yeah, and it's interesting that there's a lot of people that have compared it. Even the doctor compared it to diabetes, yes. and so that. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, let me tell people where they can get the book. You can get the book. 
um, at Barnes and Noble uh, or BarnesandNoble.com and Amazon. And then uh, if you're in Utah, St. George, Utah, on February 15th, Pauline is going to have her book launch at the Barnes and Noble there from 1 to 4 in the afternoon. You can also go to her website uh, to find out more about her, find out more about the book, and so on, and where she's going to be. Um, her website is paulinehanson.com. That's P-A-U-L-I-N-E, Hanson, H-A-N-S-E-N.com. So, Pauline, I'm, I, yes, and what you said, I want to end with this, that what you said about providing unconditional love for a person who's suffering, not just from schizophrenia, but from any kind of um, psychological or physical illness, is obviously um, a very powerful factor in their recovery. So that's absolutely true. Uh, thank you for being on the show. I wish you the best of luck with the book and with your marriage and, and your family and putting all these pieces, the patchwork together. You've been holding it together for, for many years, and, and um, that's very admirable. Many women would just kind of throw in the towel, would have thrown in the towel long ago. So, again, that's PauleneHanson.com. And um, thank you again, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff, and management.